Hey everyone, it's Monday, April 11th. Uh, it's been a little bit since I've had a podcast up, but finally getting back into it. If you followed me on social media or followed any of the uh, HFT Bets social media, you would know that I was in New Orleans for the Final Four. I'll talk a little bit about the Masters here in a little bit, as well as UFC 273. But let's talk about New Orleans. This Final Four really was all about one game, and that was the UNC-Duke game. The season ending for Coach K and his final season of coaching basketball was just spectacular. I'm a UNC fan. I'm biased. And it was great to be able to cheer my team on and watch them dismantle and destroy Coach K in his final game as a coach. Um, This game shows that you need to have a cohesive physical team in order to win. And at the end of the day, UNC was just the more physical team. Duke kind of puffered out there a little bit towards the end. They had the edge for most of the game. Uh, And it's not that anyone necessarily played bad. I mean, Trevor Keels played out of his mind, had a lot of great three-point shots, uh, ends up scoring 19 points. Paulo Bancaro showed up in this game, scored 20 points. Really, the big disappointment in this game was A.J. Griffin, who is supposed to be a top 10 recruit going into the NBA draft this year, having only six points. Now, he did pretty well on the defensive end, and you know he did play less minutes than those other guys. However, it, he had a lot of problems in this game. And Mark Williams, who was Defensive Player of the Year, only played 16 minutes, scored eight points. So uh, you know there were foul troubles early on. There were a lot of things that really that hurt this Duke team and made it so that they couldn't win outright against UNC. But at the same time, UNC had a better game plan, and I think Hubert Davis is the guy. And he knows how to outcoach teams that have these one-and-done players that don't have, I guess, as full of a, of a composition as some other teams do. I mean, the Iron Five that UNC had played out of their minds. Caleb Love with 28 points, played for the full 40 minutes. R.J. Davis, 18 points. Brady Manick, 14 points. And Armando Baycott, 11 points. Even Leaky Black hitting a couple threes. I mean, they were they were unstoppable with those five Guys on the court, and every single one of them played more than 33 minutes. And that tells you all you need to know. These guys are out-hustling the Duke team and playing a lot more minutes than the guys on the Duke team. And so, you know, they they have a much better team play. They were going to win this game. And other than it being one of the most happy moments of my life and the best experiences ever to watch, Coach K just absolutely bundled this game. You know, UNC deserved to win it. And that was really the game. That was the only game that people cared about. If you could end the UN, the the UNC run, the NCAA tournament on Saturday, everyone is happy. It was a very exciting game, back and forth. Um, and I, I think all the fans would acknowledge that really the only game that mattered in this Final Four was UNC Duke, who was going to come out on top. And Coach K's legacy is basically ruined by UNC forever. I mean, he loses his last home game in Cameron to UNC. He loses his last game ever in the first time UNC Duke has ever met in the NCAA tournament. He he's just his his legacy is tarnished forever. He will always be the guy that choked against UNC, and UNC will forever be the better team in this rivalry. It's unfortunate for for Duke fans, but that's just reality. But then you look at this final game, and you know UNC being up forty to twenty five at the halftime, uh, and then somehow managing to lose it. I really don't think this game matters that much. Is it is it a trophy? Does it count towards you know the championship wins? Sure, yeah, that's a big deal. But I don't think at the end of the day that 
it really matters. UNC covers the game. They showed that they were contenders. They weren't even supposed to be in the field. I think this says a lot more for UNC having a bright future than Kansas winning the championship and having a, a good year. Um, I, I think this Kansas team obviously was very beatable. They pulled off a miraculous comeback, much like they did against Miami. And, you know, that was the way that the dice rolled on this game. You know, you look at how the floor was crunching under Armando Baycott. UNC's not playing fully healthy. Baycott has had ankle problems. Uh, Brady Manick had a, a, a tough fall early in the game. You know, it just, if I, I think if UNC was fully healthy, they, they definitely win this game uh, by 10, 15 points. They really outplayed them in the first half. Uh, and then there was a lot of problems in the second half. Obviously, the court crunching and having Armando Baycott basically not be able to play for a while kind of hurt them. Uh, Puff Johnson stepped up. So if you're a UNC fan, then you got to be really excited about the future for, for this team. Yeah, you're getting a lot of guys graduating. Brady Mannix isn't coming back. He finishes his grad year. Armando Baycott's probably not coming back. Uh, RJ and Caleb are probably going into the into the draft. And Leaky Black may or may not come back. Depends on if he uh, uses that grad year. But you've got you know a good player in Puff Johnson who's coming up has clearly been training well. You know he used to be very scared on the court. It was very visible. Um, but he really showed up in this final game. Scored 11 points in in 18 minutes. Had six rebounds, which was you know critical for them to be staying in the game. So give Puff the credit where it's due. Uh, I've never been um, a giant Puff guy just because I don't think he's really performed at a high level. And he looks, you know, he's always you know, fumbling the ball. He looks as if he's nervous on the court um, and doesn't have the greatest ball handling. But I think that now he's lost those kind of nerves. He'll be a really good player going forward, I think. And with coach, you know, you know Hubert Davis just doing a miraculous job getting the UNC into this final, um, UNC has a very, very bright future ahead of them. And this is going to be really good for their recruiting class. For the Kansas Jayhawks, I mean, you know, congratulations, you win the game. I don't think it says too much. You know, you had Ochai Ajbaji, you know, you're favored in this game. You don't even cover the four points that you're favored by. Um, you have basically the number one, uh, well, he's on the first team All-America uh, in Ajbaji. You've got, you know, uh, David McCormick, who has a size advantage over everybody else. And then you got some shooters in Jalen Wilson and Remy Martin, but uh, having a much better skilled team and only winning by three points and basically trailing by 15 at the half, I would say this is a very lucky win for the Jayhawks. Uh, they're, they're lucky that none of these guys were recruited during the Bill Self era that uh, he was recruiting uh, using Adidas money. Otherwise, this championship would likely be stripped. But they probably won't strip this championship, so they get to have number four in the books, um, having... Basically, my entire family gone to Kansas. You know, I'm happy for them. You know, little rock chalk isn't bad. But uh, at the end of the day, I think North Carolina here was a more talented team. And, 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 you know, this team will forever be remembered. UNC has the Iron Five. Kansas doesn't have a fancy name for their team uh, that they just won the championship with. And I think that's because this wasn't really that competitive of a basketball year. I don't think this was a good year for college basketball. Um, it, it, it was, you know, a lot of the big names weren't uh, playing well. You know, Kentucky loses out fairly early on. I think that the top of the class for, for all these guys who are going into the lottery isn't as strong as in years past. I mean, you're not getting the same hype around, uh, you know, Chet Holmgren as you're getting around guys like Cade Cunningham in the past or Zion Williamson. It's just, it's just not that strong of a year, I don't think. I don't think a lot of these players that are going to get drafted are going to be absolute major stars uh, going forward. I mean, Paulo Bancaro... As much hype as he's gotten being the projected number two, potentially even number one, 
uh, has laid several eggs and not performed at a level that makes me starstruck by any means. Um, so I, I'm not entirely sure that this is a great year for college basketball in general, uh, which we kind of see in this final. But the UNC Duke game definitely lived up to the hype. That was worth the entire season. Um, and so that that was my experience at the Final Four and a good, good overall uh, tournament. Uh, even though the year wasn't the strongest in basketball, the tournament was at least somewhat entertaining with, you know, good Cinderella stories here and there. And then, um, you know, a, a blue blood ending up with the wind that hasn't had it for a good amount of time. And uh, we'll see if Kansas could ever get that in the next 30 years. Probably not. Now let's go to the Masters. Uh, I think that a lot of people are saying this was a boring Masters because, uh, you know, Scotty Scheffler, who, you know, not surprisingly had one and led for most of this Masters tournament. But if you look at the the quality of the shots, given the terrible weather, given the um, kind of poor nature of of the gameplay this year, I mean, there was just not a lot of competition just because the course was more difficult this year than in years past. There there was more wind. There was more humidity. This was a really rough year weather-wise, I think, for the Masters, which did not help uh, the scores. I mean, you've seen past champions with like, 20 under or 18 under or whatever. But Scotty Scheffler ending up with 10 under, what should have been 12 under if he didn't double bogey and miss, you know, whiff a, a five-yard putt in the last in the last hole. And then whiff again. Um, you know, even if it's 12 under, that's still less than years past. I know last year there was 10 under with Colin Morikawa, uh, but I, I think that in years past it's usually been uh, a better score than that. But some great shots, some highlights from the tournament. Uh Cameron Smith had a couple fantastic uh, holes that he played. Unfortunately, he was the king of double bogeys as well. So he had, uh, in the first day, he ended up six under. But he had double bogeyed the first and the last hole. And the fact that he was able to still get that far under, I think it was six under, six under or four under, whatever it was. But the fact he was able to end so well just really showed how how well the game he was playing. Unfortunately, couldn't hold on to the, to the lead that day and... Um, ended up finishing tied for third with uh, with Lowry from from Ireland, um, but some good shots from Smith. So I would watch his highlights. Rory McIlroy coming in the last day with eight under was an insane run to watch. I mean the chips were perfect. His short game was so good. I mean it was it was lights out gameplay. And so props to Rory that he was able to finish second, uh, get eight under in that round four to end. I mean he was going positive one in this final day of gameplay, and then ended up 7-under. I mean, just an absolute fantastic performance by him. If he plays anything like that for the re- for the other three days, he wins this tournament. Easy. Some shots that I really, really loved. Um, you know, he didn't end up performing too well in the end, but uh, Joaquin Neiman, if you look at the eagle that he had, I think it was on the first day, an awesome, awesome eagle. He's probably 150 yards out, and you know gets a gets a beautiful lay in on the green and it rolls for maybe 10 15 yards into the hole definitely look up the highlight on that one uh didn't end up well uh ended up six over par but he had a great start was three under after the first day so joaquin neiman with a little bit of a star performance on that first day but not finishing strong and then some other uh, interesting plays. Dustin Johnson had kind of an up and down weekend. He was, you know, tied for third at one point and ended up tied for twelfth. 
Uh, he was a little bit up and down. How about uh, how about Sun Jm? Sun Jm had the best positioning going in after the first day. He he, I actually think was leading over Cameron Smith. Um, he I believe Sun Jm was five under. Cameron Smith was four under after the first day. Fantastic start. I mean, he was three under in the first three holes and kept it going. And if he played like he did in that first day, easily would have won the whole thing. Um, but he definitely had had a choking period in that third day, and that from there, I think his confidence just shook, and he went down, 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 and ended up um, after being well, well under under the par, ended up being uh, tied for uh, eighth with with one under. Had three over in the last day that really didn't help him. Uh, he you know I feel bad for him. He would have definitely performed a lot better in that case, but. Star performance for the first half for, for Sanjay M, just shocking the world. I don't think anyone really gave him the credit that, that he deserved there. Um, and so that that was really the Masters. Again, not too much great gameplay just because of the weather, but uh, definitely worth watching some of those highlights. And finally, UFC 273 was on Saturday. Uh, the card was pretty good. I mean, the fight, in, fight of the year probably so far has to be the Gilbert burns Kamzat Shamaya fight. Uh, a lot closer than people thought. I mean, Gilbert Burns was going in, I, I think it was like a 400-point underdog. I mean, he was plus 425. Kamzat Shemaev, I saw in some sports books he was like minus 700 to win this fight. He ends up winning it on decision. But Kamzat Shemaev, you know, didn't, didn't really show and dominate Gilbert Burns like people expected it. People were thinking this would be a one-round fight. People were thinking that it wasn't going to be close, that Kamzat was going to kill this guy. I think Kamzat needs this kind of close match. He wins in decision. He was very clearly dominating for a lot of the fight. There was one round, I think, that that went to Gilbert Burns, where Gilbert Burns just throws a, a really good jab at Chmaev, and Chmaev almost goes to the ground. I mean, there was a point where he was wobbling. Um, and this is the first real challenge he's had. He had only, before this fight, had one significant strike against him. And now he's got plenty. And I think he needs that before he goes and faces a real top contender. He's going to, I mean, he's either going to fight Colby Covington or he's going to fight Kamaru Usman. And those two are just absolute monsters, strong endurance and uh, heavy hitters. So Kamzat needs this kind of ruffling so that he is not too confident going into those fights. You know, the fact that he was able to pull this one out, Gilbert Burns being obviously ranked two. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a deserving rank. Gilbert Burns is, I, I think, probably the worst uh, ranked two player or uh, fighter in in any division, um, respectively. But I, I think that Kamzat was able to prove himself. He is a top contender. He does deserve the the, the shot for uh, either the interim championship or the championship itself. I think he will get his belt chance soon. He's going to need a couple months, obviously, to recover after this fight. Um, but really good good performance there awesome back and forth the whole time so uh definitely watch that fight if you get the chance um fight of the night but the before that the mackenzie dern fight very interesting to see dern had a little bit more of a problem than i thought she would with torres she ends up winning by decision um but it's definitely a really close fight mackenzie dern is is on the rise She's, she was ranked fifth after this fight i think she will likely get a fight um in the women's straw rate straw weight against uh either you know like a number one or a number two um and so good for her for finishing off Torres. 
Very, very close, though. I was not impressed with Mackenzie Dern's performance. She's impressed me in the past uh, with some of her fights, but this fight uh, has me worried for her. I don't think she wins uh, whoever she fights next after this performance. It was it was too shaky for me. Um, the co-main event, Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan. Uh, this fight was a little boring for me. Um, n- not just because it was you know a lot of grappling, it was a lot of uh, takedown defense, I, I just didn't think that there was a lot of action in this. You know, the crowd was booing a lot of the time. Definitely not a fight worth uh, re-watching by any means. Um, Aljamain Sterling, I, I, Dana White said himself that he thought Peter Yan won this fight. And I think there's definitely probably some bias against the Russian uh, in, in this tournament just because of you know external events that are going on. Aljamain barely, barely, barely pulls this off in a split decision. Um, you could easily see a Peter Yan, Aljamain Sterling th- uh, three happening but from what it seems that's not going to be the case sterling is likely going to fight tj dillashaw after there was some back and forth uh the next day after the fight um Aljamain calling tj you know obviously making references to him being uh positive in drug tests in the past and and so i i i would say that Aljamain sterling is is a a fake champion in the sense that he could be very easily beaten by a Peter Yan or um, you know a TJ Dillashaw even. Uh, I'd be shocked if Aljamain Sterling can retain the belt for another fight. Not a very impressive performance by either side. Uh, there were a couple times where Peter Yan almost had had a kill shot, um, but Aljamain does a good job with with a lot of takedowns, takedown defense. Uh, he, he just he, his ground game was a lot better and that's what won him this. He was able to avoid taking too many punches from from Peter, who just doesn't have as much of a ground game. And then the uh, the main event, Volkanovski and the Korean Zombie. Uh, this was a fairly easy fight for Volkanovski. Um, you know, the sports books had that happening. You know, Zombie was a, a step in at this point, and so Volkanovski wins this one pretty easy with a, a TKO in the fourth round. Um, surprised it went that long. I mean, there were some punches thrown, and it was just a constant beating. So, uh, really good fights overall for UFC. And that is the past week, two weeks in review. I'll try to put more podcasts out. We'll get a little bit more into the NBA once the playoffs start, the NHL once those playoffs start, and maybe even a couple regular season MLB props as the season gets underway. I know that it's been going for about a week. Um, not really sure how I'll evaluate the regular season MLB. I think it's a very odd season, uh, given the, the lockout and all of the effects that have come from that, as well as, um, a lot of the movements that have occurred around that. We might get into a couple trade discussions for the NFL. The NFL has had a lot of awesome free agency moves. I think it's going to be a really exciting year. Um, and we'll get into some of that as well, but for now, follow the HFT bets Instagram and Twitter. Make comments, leave reviews on the podcast. Let me know what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear. I'll follow high school Swedish tennis if that's what it takes. So have a good one. I'll talk to you soon.